Lord's good. Well, welcome to the Omaha Vineyard Church. My name is Saul Cruz, and uh, I thought we'd start today with, um, so I've been like going into the book of James and just kind of meditating, and James is, he's got a tone of voice on him that's like tough, it's like tough love. Anyway, I I pulled this up in the message version, and I think it's it's it works with the series that we're in. Faith is spelled R-A-S-K. So it's James two from fourteen. I may just go all the way to the end of the chapter here. Dear friends, do you think you'll get anywhere in this if you learn all the right words but never do anything? Does merely talking about faith indicate that a person really has it? For instance, you come upon an old friend dressed in rags and half-starved and say, Good morning, friend. Be clothed in Christ. Be filled with the Holy Spirit. And walk off without providing so much as a coat or a cup of soup. Where does that get you? Isn't it obvious that God talk without God acts is outrageous nonsense? I can already hear one of you agreeing by saying, Sounds good. You take care of the faith department, I'll handle the works department. Not so fast. You can no more show me your works apart from your faith than I can show you my faith apart from my works. Faith and works, works and faith, they fit together hand in glove. And I just realized, this is from the message. Do I hear you professing to believe in the one and only God and then observe you complacently sitting back as if you've done something wonderful. That's just great. Demons do that, but what good does it do them? Use your heads. Do you suppose for a minute that you can cut faith and works in two and not end up with a corpse on your hands? Wasn't our ancestor Abram made right with God by works when he placed his son Isaac on the sacrificial altar? Isn't it obvious that faith and works are yoked partners, that faith expresses itself in works? that the works are works of faith. The full meaning of believe in the scripture sentence, Abraham believed God and was set right with God, includes his action. It's that mesh of believing and acting that got Abraham named God's friend. Is it not evident that a person is made right with God not by a barren faith, but by a faith fruitful in works? The same with Rahab the Jericho harlot. Wasn't her action in hiding God's spies and helping them escape that seamless unity of believing and doing that counted with God? The very moment you separate body and spirit, you end up with a corpse. Separate faith and works, and you get the same thing, a corpse. So one of the things that... um, vineyard um, theologians talk about is both and, right? Where the truth of the kingdom of God is not simply one thing and one thing only. It's both that thing and something else. And I, I feel like that's true with this topic of faith and works, acting out your belief 
not only saying, I believe that Jesus is my Savior and I'm going to go to heaven when I die, but also God is at work and he's inviting me into his work and I get to say yes to be a part of what he's doing. Today our topic is uh, permission to try. And I was talking before we got here, and it takes some rewriting of my, my mind because of all of the ways that we as people, men and women, identify success, right? Or identify progress. At the same time that there is a place where the rubber meets the road, where if you're just talking faith and not showing works, all you have on your hands is a corpse. And at the same time, it's by grace that we've been saved. Right? It's not something that we have to earn. So last week we started with our conviction about the Father. Right? To do what the Father is doing, we start with our conviction about who the Father is and what he is like. And today, I want to do the same thing. So today we're going to start in Luke 15. We're going to take, take a little nugget out of the parable of the lost son, the prodigal son. So if you want to open up your Bibles to Luke chapter 15, we're going to be going from verse 20 to 24. So he returned home to his father. And this is a son who told his dad, I'd rather that you were dead and I just got my inheritance now. And then he blew it. He wasted it all. And so he decides, I'm going to go back home. Because my, ser my, my father's servants are living better than I am right now. So I'm going to see if I can ask him to just make me one of his servants. So at least I can live. So here we go, verse 20. So he returned home to his father. And while it was still a long way off, his father saw him coming. Filled with love and compassion, he ran to his son, embraced him, and kissed him. His son said to him, <clears throat> Father, I have sinned against both heaven and you, and I am no longer worthy to be called your son. But his father said to his servants, Quick, bring the finest robe in the house and put it on him. Get a ring for his finger and sandals for his feet and kill the calf we have been fattening. We must celebrate with a feast. For the son of mine was dead and is now returned to life. He was lost, but now he is found. So the party began. So what do you observe about the Father in those verses? He's decisive. He's decisive. Yes. And I think human dads, they love their children so much, but they're also human. And we, we end up with a lot of Oh, am I, did I do it right? 
But th this father is decisive, right? What's he decisive about? Yeah. Yeah, he's decisive about their identity and how they're treated. And so the son who willingly chose defiance and said, you have no worth to me as a person, father. I just want your money. And he comes back. How is, how is he treated? Yeah. How does he show that? Somebody else. <laughs> Very tired. Yeah. Yeah. Get the best robe in the house. Put a ring on his finger. Put sandals on his feet. There's no, there's no um, like restoration period, right? There's no grounding, right? There's, it's just redemption. You're my son. We're celebrating you. You were dead. Now you're alive. I'm not interested. I'm not even interested in hearing your attempt to grovel and earn a lower level in your life. I'm not even interested in that. You are worth celebrating. Yeah. So what does that tell us about the heart of God? The person is more important than what they did, right? That's powerful. I mean, let's think about this. If this is how he operates in the face of repentance from purposeful choices of defiance and rebellion, what would this tell us about his heart and his attitude towards us when we are trying to obey? Right? If we want to do what the Father is doing and we are listening to the Father and we're stepping out in obedience taking a faith risk, if we get it wrong, what can we expect? Love, celebration, honor, right? The best robe in the house. Not interested in, in where you think, in you wanting to lower yourself. I'd, honestly, guys, this has been a tough year um, to, to keep coming here week after week, hasn't it? Yeah. Because we don't see a return on this investment necessarily. But obedience is the first step. And in our faith is spelled R-A-S-K study booklet and that I've been working off. It says this, if we want to get better at hearing God's voice and then take risks based on what we believe he said, then we have to practice. We have to see some results before we know what works and what doesn't work. 
And I'm hoping, I'm hoping that our conviction about who the Father is and how he operates and what his heart, where his heart is with us, I'm hoping that that makes taking a chance on Jesus easier for me. Because what, what is true about our brains and our bodies is also true about our spiritual life. We can work the muscle of our faith. Right? We can practice anywhere and anytime. Do you feel like you have permission to do that? Good. You do. You and I have that permission. We can take chances with Jesus. You have the permission and even the birthright as a child of God to experience God as the expert in all things and to watch him take our stutter steps and turn them into holy moments that can be life-changing for us and for others. We saw in our study of the book of Acts of the Apostles that the new church that received power from the Holy Spirit, they preached boldly about the great love of God. And they showed the power of that love in wonders and miraculous healings. They took chances with Jesus. They took faith risks to heal the sick, to answer the religious leaders, to preach to the crowds, and for some of them to even give up their whole lives for the name of the Lord Jesus. When we read our motto as a command, faith is spelled R-A-S-K, maybe we can feel Jesus on the other side of it with a twinkle in his eye, looking forward to the adventure with us as he's invited us to join him in what he's doing. Like when he invited Peter to walk on the water. Let's take a look at that, that scripture. That's Matthew chapter 14. We're going to be looking at verses 25 through 31. About three in the, o'clock in the morning, Jesus came toward them walking on the water. When the disciples saw him walking on the water, they were terrified. In their fear, they cried out, It's a ghost! But Jesus spoke to them at once. Don't be afraid, he said. Take courage. I am here. And then Peter called to him, Lord, if it's really you, you guys ever pray that way? Lord, if it's really you, tell me to come to you walking on the water. Yes, come, Jesus said. So, and I love the way this version puts it. Jesus went, or no, sorry. So Peter went over the side of the boat and walked on the water toward Jesus. But when he saw the strong wind and the waves, he was terrified and began to sink. Save me, Lord, he shouted. Jesus immediately reached out and grabbed him. You have so little faith, Jesus said. Why did you doubt me? 
So one of the things I was thinking about it with this is how exciting that must have been for Jesus. That everyone's freaked out, right? They think he's a ghost. But Peter invites Jesus to tell him to walk out to him on the water. Peter is taking a chance with Jesus. And yes, Jesus said to Peter, you have so little faith, and why did you doubt me? But in the context of the story, what's the bigger message? What was Jesus reinforcing for Peter and the disciples? You can trust me. And you can obey me. And I will allow you to walk on the water. And if I can allow you to walk on the water, I can get you through the strong wind and the waves. Now, Jesus didn't talk him through at first either. He just told Peter, come. And Peter stepped out of the boat, exercising his faith muscle to join Jesus by walking on the water. In John 14, 15, Jesus says, If you love me, obey my commandments. God is only looking for one thing from us when it comes to joining him in his work of loving people, and that's obedience. Obedience is the first step, the first action. It's the only thing that God is looking for from us. Peter obeyed when he got, when he went over the side of the in the middle of the sea and walked on the water out to Jesus. So why did Jesus say, you have so little faith, and why did you doubt me? I think it's that just like the father in the uh, prodigal son story, Jesus is setting the identity bar at the highest. Come and do what I do is his invitation to the disciples and to us to step out into our full identity, our full inheritance, the place of no doubt, big faith, fully trusting in God. We are all on our own journey of growth, and Jesus is encouraging us to have faith and to not doubt him. Growing in faith means being honest about our doubt or our lack of faith, like our example last week of the father of the demon-possessed boy, right? He said, I do believe. Help me in my unbelief. It takes practice. It takes taking a chance. It takes risking that maybe you didn't hear the Holy Spirit, but you take the risk anyway. Lord, if it's really you, obedience is the first action. 
We take a risk in obedience, and God meets us in that moment when all is on the line. We want him to meet us before, right? Before we take the risk, giving us an overwhelming confidence that everything will work out and we will not be embarrassed at all. But that's rarely how it works. How it usually works is we risk, we obey, and the Spirit meets us. And that's that sweet spot where miracles can occur. So there's this both and, right? There's our full identity is without merit. We are fully loved and we've been sacrificed for because of his choice, God's choice. We don't earn it. And there's really the fact that he is worth obeying and risking for. And maybe some of you just need to stay there in that place where your Father God is continually looking at you with favor and celebrating you as His child and lavishing you with esteem and honor and gifts. Maybe that's enough of a good grace message that you are His beloved child and he's not looking to condemn or punish you. That by itself may be all you can wrap, around, wrap your mind around today. But maybe you're encouraged by this freedom you have inside of your Father's great love for you. Maybe you're emboldened to take a chance on Jesus to take a faith risk and say yes as you are learning to hear the Father's voice. So, if that's you, how could you practice hearing the voice of God and obeying this week? Could you choose each day for seven days to take one faith risk per day? with Jesus as he leads. And I, I know for me, if I don't write something down, I usually don't do it. <laughs> and uh, establishing new uh, disciplines for myself is, is kind of difficult. So may, maybe it's, you know, you set an alarm on your phone. Or you write something down on your calendar. Today, I'm going to be listening for the voice of God and I'm going to choose to obey and take one faith risk today with Jesus as he leads. Because I know on one hand, he loves me and I can't, I can't lose that. I'm not powerful enough or big enough to lose God's love for me. And then on the other hand, He's worth obeying. He's worth saying yes to. 
and I might get to see something or experience something that changes me and someone else. And we as a church like to practice everyone gets to play. So as we close, does anyone have a word from the Lord? Something from God that you feel is for the whole church? And, and so, yeah? We're reaching people all over the world? Oh, that is encouraging. That's encouraging. Hmm. That's good news. That's good news. Thank you. Heavenly Father, you are compassionate for the lost. And so, Lord, we do say use us. Here, choose me. Here I am to obey you and use whatever it is I bring to the table. You, you are able to say, I can work with that. Whatever we bring, I can work with that. And Lord, we, we want to be we want to be obedient. We want to be about what you are doing. Heavenly Father, we ask you to bring glory to your name in our gatherings, in our city, in the world. Lord, and if, if it's simply realizing that your love for us is unconditional, we cannot earn it, we cannot lose it, Lord, may that heal us, heal our hearts, heal our minds, our spirits. And if the, the tough love truth word of James um, makes us realize that, huh, maybe I've just been um, saying I, I have faith, but I'm not willing to take action and, and put my faith into action. Lord, may that, that um, correction influence our hearts and our minds, Lord. And with the establishment of, of your love for us and your call on us to um, join you in what you're doing, Lord, may we find balance in obeying you. Not as a way to earn something, but simply as a way to be in relationship with you. Be on your team as you are at work and invite us to join you in what you're doing. Change us, Lord. Make us more like your son. 
May the Holy Spirit fill us. And this week, may we say yes to you and take faith risks as you lead us. Amen. All right, let me pronounce our blessing, and then we'll go enjoy this sunny uh, autumn summer day. Omaha Vineyard Church, may the Lord bless you and protect you. May the Lord smile on you and be gracious to you. May the Lord show you his favor and give you his peace. Amen.